Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is Dr. Hazel Wallace, who is the founder of The Food Medic, a medical doctor, registered associate nutritionist, author, content creator, podcast host, and personal trainer. She's the author of the best-selling books, The Food Medic and The Food Medic for Life, and her latest book, The Female Factor, Making Women's Health Count and What It Means for You. Her most recent book, The Female Factor, which we are going to discuss in this episode, examines healthcare, diet, and well-being through a female lens, and using her expertise in nutrition, medicine, and wellness, Hazel provides methods for women to protect and maximize their health in positive and empowering steps, as well as expanding the definition of women's health from conditions that only affect reproductive organs to the study of all aspects of health and disease. Now, just from a personal perspective, I've wanted Hazel to come on for ages, so I'm so excited to have you. Hazel, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? We were just saying you're recovering from an illness. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. I've just come over. I've had a week off with sickness, but I'm feeling so much better. So yeah, ready to get going and excited to be here. Really, really happy to have you on. Now, I know that you and I have followed each other for such a long time. Like when I was trying to think back of how long I followed you on social media, I think it must be nearing nine, 10 years, something like that. But I would love to know, because I don't actually, when I was thinking about, you know, sort of interviewing you, I was like, I don't actually know why she started posting on Instagram in the first place. I know most of us kind of just wanted to share our journey and I guess develop a small community. But what was your first incentive to, I guess, start sharing your, uh, you know, experience of health, fitness, wellness on Instagram? I started my Instagram page back in 2011. Um, which is so long ago and I think Instagram had just started and I was in my first degree which was medical sciences and I was doing that degree with a view to go into graduate entry medicine so I knew I wanted to be a doctor I was like working really hard to get the grades so I could go into that degree and I was in I think I was in my third year of uni at this point and absolutely loving life and living my best life this was in Wales so I was drinking a lot of cider and (laughs) eating a lot of pasties and not doing very much movement and I kind of thought to myself that I probably wasn't the healthiest individual or the most inspirational medical student and soon to be doctor and so I went on my own personal health and fitness journey I had no like main goals in my mind I just wanted to start being active again I used to do a lot of um, team sports at school and I didn't do any at university and I also just wanted to kind of look after my health and kind of as a backstory my father had died when I was 14 from a stroke um and just one of the main reasons I wanted to be a doctor, but it also was the reason I was so acutely aware of like how nutrition and how movement and how stress can really increase your risk of things like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. And so I guess I was this like, you know, really eager, soon to be medical student who thought they could change the world through nutrition and movement and healthy lifestyle. And that's why I started the Food Medic page. Um, so it was really a personal journey that then ended up like sharing recipes and it turned into a blog post. Um, and I'm sure I'll 
I, if I looked back at some of the posts, I'd be extremely embarrassed now. But I guess as you did, I grew up on social media. You know, I went through some of my hardest times. I went through some of my best times. I went through some of my challenging times. Um, but ultimately, Instagram's the reason why I'm here today and why the food medics exists and all the books that I've written. So that's really my backstory. <laughs> it's no, it's brilliant. And it's, and it's really interesting. And I think that, you know, I really see you as probably one of the first coming from a medical background to use your platform to share health and fitness related content. You know, I really can't think of anyone that before you that kind of really positioned themselves as that. And, you know, you called, called yourself the food medic. So it really was, you know, expert led content. But I wondered what that was like to kind of be the one of the first to put your head above the parapet and sort of start posting from more of an expert perspective and whether you felt any pressure or judgment at the time from the medical community? Yeah, I guess, you know, I was a medical student for the first couple of years of starting the food medic. And um, I was also one of the older medical students because I was graduate entry. So even like that made me a little bit different to the other students. And I definitely did get a bit bullied from the people in my class because they knew that I was doing this. I mean, I was really passionate about it and posting all the time but also like attending my lectures and, and doing the work in medical school. But it was really just that, like, I didn't get any kind of hate from like other doctors. If anything, it was like words of support, I guess, older people realizing that or other doctors realizing that this is something that was completely overlooked in the medical school curriculum, where we just paid lip service to the importance of nutrition, but actually didn't learn any tangible kind of practical ways to support our patients. Mm. And so like, I remember back in the very early days, it was really just me online. I remember I met Dr. Rupi when I was on my elective in Australia and he was working as a doctor over there and he hadn't started social media then and was asking me about it and was and he was sharing those fears like what will other people think because I guess you know you have to uphold an element of professionalism and confidentiality and things but if you're not sharing patient information it's a bit different and now like when I go online I, I think like majority of the people who follow me are either registered nutritionists, dietitians, doctors, physios, medical students. Like it's a very health dominated uh, page. Um, and I think, you know, there's uh, how I see it is there's room for everyone. And even if we're saying similar things, some people will say something or deliver it in a certain way and it will land with someone. Like I might say it and it just doesn't resonate with someone, but someone else who who someone can relate to, it might land with them. So I'm I'm a big believer in there's kind of room for everyone. Yeah, and kind of on that note, obviously now we see so many doctors take to social media. Obviously I reference you as being one of the first, but now it's incredibly common to see GPs, doctors, whatever, you know, you, you name it, nutritionists, dietitians who create these kind of media profiles and almost bridge the gap, I guess, between seeing them in clinic, which is in becoming increasingly difficult as we know through no fault of their own, but, but is becoming increasingly difficult. And then I guess having very little other accessible information on a range of health issues. So do you feel like social media is kind of a helpful progression? And, and at the, in the same breath, do you see there being any downsides, I guess, with there any there being so many doctors and health professionals who are taking to social media? Yeah, I think it can be really helpful. Um, just speaking from experience, like I will get a lot of feedback from people who follow me who will say like oh you know your post on endometriosis was prompted me to go see a doctor and now I'm undergoing investigations and this is something that I just accepted for years and years and years and so I know that those posts can help people 
I think, you know, maybe there's an argument that there's too much information online. There's, you know, not all doctors, not all health professionals have the same views. Um, the other thing is that, you know, doctors aren't traditionally trained in nutrition sciences. So there are some doctors that will uh, have very strong beliefs about nutrition that aren't essentially true. Um, and I'm not speaking about any in particular, but it can cause a lot of confusion with people because you will see the title doctor. And if they say, oh, like you should follow the carnivore diet, for example, you might believe them because you're like, well, they're a doctor and they've gone to medical school for years and years and years and they should know what they're saying. And that's why I went back and retrained as a nutritionist because I wanted to make sure that I was, if I was embodying the, the food medic and writing books on nutrition, that I could have that credibility and I understood fully the nutrition sciences because it's so different to being a doctor. It's very different in terms of the science really. Yeah, absolutely. And I do remember when you did that. And I think that's such a such a good kind of string to have to your bow because as you said, you know, we, we've sort of learned that doctors have, I guess, a, a, a small opening to nutrition in terms of their education, but it's not huge. And so it, when it comes to advising on it, I guess that their expertise is fairly limited. So for yourself to kind of position yourself more as an expert, you know, straddling both things is really helpful. And actually that really leads me on to talk about your career journey because it's been amazing to watch and obviously like I said I've kind of followed you from the very start I know you mainly used to focus on food and exercise I guess from more of a personal perspective but now as an outsider it seems you've really found your happy place with the content that you share like it's been so lovely to see and you've almost like carved your own niche in itself for you know what you talk about and how you kind of deliver the messaging what would you say was your journey to getting to this point I know that you referenced earlier that you know as as I did we made many mistakes along <laughs> the way we many things that we look back on and think oh my god I can't believe I ever said that but what would you say were kind of the key points in your journey to I guess getting to where you are now which is being in such a comfortable and happy place with the messaging that you have on your page I think growing up is a big thing um and also finding a niche that I really enjoy speaking about um like the food medic like you said it's it, it's food and medicine but it's more than that you know there's fitness and women's health is now a huge component and I think when I went through COVID um as a doctor I spent a lot of time by myself because <laughs> I was living alone at that time um and went through a really difficult time um which caused me to really reflect on my life and my life moving forward and I think I just let go of a lot of people pleasing, a lot of saying yes to things that I don't really enjoy doing. Um, and during that time, I really found an interest in how women are neglected in health and healthcare and started doing a lot of reading and research around that area. And I'm not an obs and gynae doctor. I'm not trained in that specialty. Like all doctors will have women's health training, but there's specialists who who deal with those specific conditions but what I found is not specifically related to female reproductive organs but just women in general the female sex seem to be excluded from medical research for so long and I just became really interested in this really passionate I guess as a woman myself and also as a doctor to women and as I stepped into that space and wrote the female factor for the first time in a very long time, I felt like this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it felt like the work was really valuable because 
like you mentioned, there's so many nutritionists and doctors and dietitians on Instagram, like there's no short of shortage of nutrition information or nutrition awareness. But there's not really many people discussing how women are different to men, how their needs are different, and not just from a kind of menopause, menstrual cycle, hormonal point of view, but from all aspects. Um, and I think just really owning that and carving out that niche and not being afraid that it will cause some people to unfollow because it doesn't relate to them or some people might find it jarring or whatever it might be just really being okay with that and knowing that this is work that I really enjoy doing and I guess yeah I I think like now I can say I definitely have days where I'm like I do not enjoy being on social media and (laughs) think about my exit strategy but I would say overall, most of the time I really enjoy it because I've let go of that pressure of posting what I don't want to post. And I actually really enjoy creating content because I'm quite a creative person, but in the fields that I'm in, there's not really much space for creativity. It's very guideline based. It's all science. Um, But I do like creating reels and editing reels and creating infographics and everything that we do as part of the food medic that was a very long answer (laughs) it was it was a long but a brilliant answer and and really it's been so like I said so nice to see that progression and you're absolutely right that um I'm sure there are many people listening thinking how did you do it because to let go of people pleasing to let go of all of the things that so many of us are plagued with in terms of particularly as we grow up you know we feel the pressure of success and achieving and all these things and hitting certain metrics by certain you know deadlines whatever it is I think that you know when I built this podcast it was all about you know giving people strength how do people get strength in various different ways whether that's building resilience or overcoming things and I think as much as I didn't have this in my in my notes I I would actually just love to hear about that journey a little bit more in terms of you know letting go of people pleasing it sounds easy to say but it's incredibly hard to do and you know you reference going through a difficult time and I remember you sharing you know moments of that online but what was it, I guess, about that specific period that allowed you to just shed that kind of weight of all of that pressure and say, you know what, I'm just going to do things my way because I can see the difference in you. Um, mm. But it's obviously hard to kind of say to people, oh, this is exactly what I did to get to where I am, you know? Yeah, I think like if growing up, I was always praised for like my academic abilities. And and so I've always, like I've done three degrees, which is quite excessive. And I've always done kind of, I've always just focused on academia and doing well and trying to get praise from that point of view. And I think I stuck with medicine alongside the food medic for so long because it was the right thing to do. And don't get me wrong, I got into medicine for the right reasons. And I loved being a doctor in that medical setting. But for quite a while, it was really not possible for me to maintain my own health and continue working full-time in the hospital and full-time as a food medic. And I think because COVID really wore me down and I wasn't really getting the support that I needed to be able to do both, I guess it was just a moment where I thought, I'm not going to be happy doing this forever, um, or at least for right now. And I was told to go home on sick leave for a week and I took that week um because I was so burnt out after everything we did with COVID and it was in when I was just in bed that week thinking I do not want to keep having this I do not want to keep having episodes of burnout um and just like being disillusioned and so 
the scariest, biggest thing that I've done so far in my life is saying that I'm leaving the hospital and going all in on the food medic. And that took me 10 years to do that. And it took me 10 years to get to the food medic to a place that I could actually support myself. And I would say like, even now I'm out 18 months, I'm still sometimes, I still sometimes have moments where I'm like, was it the right thing? Like, what do people think of me? But ultimately, like you said, everyone I know in my life and everyone who's known me for a long time, just say, you are so much happier. You are so much like my sister who knows me the longest says, you are the Hazel that you were when you were little, where you're constantly smiling, constantly happy, constantly laughing. I feel like I'm going to cry. Oh, <laughs> for a very long time, I wasn't that Hazel. Mm. So, oh, Hazel, I'm getting really emotional now. I think that as you know, you and I are similar age, and I think mm. that we go through, and I completely relate to, although completely different, some of the things you say about doing things for other people. You know, so much of my life has been, let me do it to please these people. Let me do this to please those people. Let me continue doing this because I know that it's going to make these people happy. And I think so many of us have the weight of pressure and expectation on us. And, Mm. um, you know, at some point we have to say like, who is my life for? Am I living my life for everyone else around me? Or am I actually going to live the life that I really want to live? And, you know, your father's an example. And there are so many that I could think of where we have many examples all the time of how short and precious life is. You don't want to waste a month, a year, however many years living it for someone else's ambitions. It's just like wild. And in a way, like as much as I'm sad that you got emotional talking about that, I'm also happy that it's that it's such an affirming thing that almost for the right reasons you have just said, you know what, like I'm doing this for me now. And and that is emotional because it's a big, brave thing to do. But yeah, like your sister's right. And, and you know, I'm not even super close to you, but I can see from from just from a distance that there's such a shift and such a change in you. And, you know, we never can completely stop those niggling doubts. I think all of us will go through life with a tiny voice in our head that goes, oh gosh, but what about if you did this? Or what if you did that? But ultimately learning to kind of override that and put yourself first is one of the most empowering things you can do. And, you know, I'm super in awe of you for that. Let's move on to talk about the book because mm-hmm. I really loved it, like loved it, Hazel. And, mm-hmm. and I can tell that you poured so much into that book. When you first sent it to me, I was like, oh my God, it's like a textbook. But actually, <laughs> it's brilliant in that sense because you can really dip in and out of it. You know, if something comes up for me, I've, I've gone to it many times to be like, oh, I wonder what that might say in there. And it's it's so useful in that sense. I mean, you can read it cover to cover, but it's also kind of great just to have it there as a reminder. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. One of the things that the book really, I guess, educates us on is this massive gap between, you know, how men and women have been served within medicine and how women have been largely underserved, I guess, when it comes to research. Um, and that was, you know, part of your passion project now is, is kind of educating on that. But would you say that medicine, I guess, has had its me too moment yet? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the watershed moment has happened or do you think that's kind of still to come? I think it's still to come. I think it's coming, but I think healthcare systems, not just in the UK, but across the world are, a lot of them are on their knees and they've got so many things to think about and consider and implement. And I just think that women's health still is pushed to the side and it's something that people don't really take seriously. And, you know, like I said earlier, when I was writing the book, I wanted people to kind of not just see 
the words women's health as ovaries and a uterus, but think about all aspects of women's health because we too have a heart and lungs and a gut and a brain and all of these things that men have, but we also are built slightly differently and we've got different physiology and we've got different hormones. And that means that we function slightly differently and we respond to treatment slightly different differently. And we might present with different conditions um, slightly differently. And I think that the that is so important and that's really overlooked. And when I was in medical school, the only important sex differences were reproductive differences. But what's been emerging over the last couple of years, even through practice, is how the fact that we've excluded women from medical trials for so long, we've made a huge mistake. And if we take heart disease, for example, I'm sure if you can think back to like any public health campaign for a heart attack, it's always an older white man clutching his chest. And that is like poster boy for heart disease. But women are just as likely to die from heart disease. And actually in the UK, they're more likely to die from heart disease. And that's because not not because more women get heart disease, but because there's this assumption that they shouldn't have that condition. So when they're less likely to present to hospital on time, which causes delays, and when they get there, they're more likely to be misdiagnosed, and then they're more likely to not get the same treatment as a man would. So there's all of these different steps that are incredibly important when it comes to training a heart attack that women seem to be slipping through the net on. And it leads to these devastating consequences where women die unnecessarily. And like, that's a very dramatic example, but there are so many other examples. And when I was reading all of this, I found that so shocking. And then I found out that the British Heart Foundation were doing all this research and finding out like similar things. And then I spoke to cardiology doctors only like very recently and they're all aware of this, but by the time something um, comes out in the research and then it's implemented in practice and it changes guidelines can take years and years. And I just don't really think that we've got that time. So I don't think the huge Me Too movement has happened, but I think more and more people are talking about it. And I hope that, you know, with the book, I've actually had a real life example of a woman who read my book, particularly the heart chapter. And at her sister's wedding, her mum had chest pain and shortness of breath. And she was just like, I'm just anxious. I'm just, you know, excited for your sister's wedding. And her daughter was like, no, you, you need to go to hospital. Turns out she was having a heart attack. And that is prime example of how women are so unaware that they can have heart attacks too and they're also more likely to put other people before them so yeah if you ever have chest pain or it's not palpitations it's not anxiety go to the go to the yeah but do you think there's also something in that I think as women that we we minimize our pain you know we're almost so used to you know I'm not not going to use myself as a prime example but you know I get excruciating period pain once a month I'm kind of just used to it now I know that it's not normal you know I've had every investigation under the sun but I'm almost like used to that level of being in pain or dealing with pain or putting it you know to the back of the agenda and I, I remember like last month I was like in agony and I was like to Patty, if only you could experience what this is like, I think you'd go to hospital, you know, it's like that bad. But I do think that there's something about the fact that, you know, whether it be childbirth or period pains or, you know, breast pain or whatever it is, like we we always have, you know, things going on that I think we can we can slightly minimize and and put on the, you know, back burner and actually 
you know, that can then in more serious situations mean that we do put ourselves more at risk. Yeah, absolutely. In the research around heart attacks and the reason why there's such a delay going to hospital, there's like, there was reasons why women delay putting off and it's because they'll put their kind of children first. So they'll make sure that they're like taken care of. They're more likely to just self-medicate at home. They think that it's something that's not important or dangerous, like life-threatening, something like anxiety. Um, And yeah, I guess the overarching theme is they're more likely to put other people and other things first before putting themselves first. And I think that is very true of women in general. Um, But when it comes to things that are, I guess, part of being a woman, like having a menstrual cycle and having tender boobs, we just assume that that's normal because, you know, it's natural and normal to have a menstrual cycle. But so many people will like take off, they'll use their annual leave days because their pain is so excruciating. And the amount of women that I've had to tell like that is not normal. It's not normal for you to be in a debilitating pain. Yet, Yes, if your uterus is shedding, you will have some cramping. That is to be expected. But like you said, it's not normal to be in that much pain. But I think some men may look at us and be like, well, you know, that's, it's normal because you're a woman. You just have to put up with it. Um, which I don't agree. I also don't agree. <laughs> I, you know, I wish for once, I was like, I just wish Paddy could experience what I'm going through once a month, for God's in. sakes. <laughs> the like tens machine. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. I've got to do that. I wanted to, you know, I, I actually love that we've spoken more about you because I've listened to a lot of podcasts that you've been on and, and obviously a lot of it does tend to focus on more of your work rather than you and who you are. And because I know I, I know you and I've known you for a long time, I, I really wanted to focus and also hearing a little bit more about Hazel and who she is and, you know, what makes you tick. But I guess one of the things that I've loved about following you over, over the last kind of um, few years, no, is it a year or maybe a bit longer than a year, is your journey of growth, but especially your recent relationship and your engagement, which I'm so thrilled for you for. And I haven't had an opportunity to say congratulations. So Thank congratulations you. to <laughs> you. Um, how has it been, I guess, sharing more of that side of your life online? I know it's fairly like a new thing for you to kind of, I guess, be more vulnerable, more open with with who you are and your relationship and everything. How have you found that? Yeah, uh, I think the thing is for, I mean, I've been in a a relationship with David for two years now and before him I was single for a bit and before that I was in a long distance relationship so despite I guess I've just it's not that I've neglected to include that in my content it just was never really an opportunity and I when I was single I guess a lot of women like really like found a soul sister in me and they were like you know she's really like flying the flag for independent women and I wasn't trying to be that at all you know I was I was very comfortable I was the last single best friend in my friendship group and I was fine by that I was fine with being the cool aunt and just like you know floating in floating out and I knew that when I was ready I'd find my person but I was very comfortable on my own I used you know I've I used to go on solo holidays all the time, solo trips. It's not something I found difficult and I lived by myself for a long time. I love my own company. Um, and I think for a lot of women who are single, they just, you know, found that really empowering and, and it maybe inspired them to book that trip by themselves or buy flowers on a Friday for themselves and those little things. And I still do those things by myself, um, even though I'm in a relationship. But I guess when I met David he's a creator as well so he's online 
and naturally then your content kind of blends together um and for us it feels very natural and very authentic there's like nothing staged if you ever see us together we are exactly how we are online um he's quite literally my best friend but I think for some people they see that and they think well Hazel's left me behind or Hazel's just found her happiness because she's in a relationship or they think that that's what I'm saying and I found my happiness and my contentment far far before I met David and he just adds to it and I know that if we broke up in the morning which would be horrible I would still land on my feet I would still have my business I'd still have my friends I'd still have my life and I guess because I feel so happy and in sync with him it just feels natural to share that journey with people but unfortunately for some people it's jarring for most people they love it but for some people they think it makes me unrelatable because I'm no longer that single girl I think it's hard being online in that perspective and I, and I totally hear what you're saying that I think sometimes people can really love to see the struggle I spoke about this with another guest of mine recently that there's something about uh, you know the communities that we create online that they love the struggle they love the vulnerable sides of us they love the personal challenges because it's relatable and I totally get that but you know, it's actually harder for us in some ways to celebrate people being genuinely happy. I'm not saying everyone, that's a massive generalization, but I think I've definitely noticed even in, in my own content, you know, I, I have this girl message me last week and she was supposed to be messaging her friend, having a bitch about me putting up something about Paddy. And she was like, oh my God, isn't this awful? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, hi, you've sent it to me. But I do think there's something that that, that we find hard about seeing people being genuinely happy and, and, and almost that, that that can be challenging for some some people and confronting I guess so I saw you post recently about saying something about someone someone messaging messaging around that and I just found that almost really relatable myself because I felt the sting of people kind of I guess celebrating you when you're down but also then not when you're up yeah yeah that's it like I mean I had a few messages and one of them explicitly said that they preferred me when I was sad <laughs> And, you know, I was in an extremely dark place to my own admission two or three years ago. And I was probably um, what I thought I was keeping it under wraps, but I think I was a lot more like open about it and people were very aware of it because I was really struggling. Um, And I guess if you too were going through a hard time, you feel less alone because someone you're watching on social media is going through that as well. And it kind of normalizes it or there's like a glimmer of like kind of, I don't know, this kind of support network in a way. Um, and while me going through that and coming out the other side, some people who are still maybe struggling have said, oh, it's so nice because I have that, you've kind of given me hope that there's something on the other side. Whereas some people have said, in so many words, you've kind of left me behind and now I've got no one to relate to. And, you know, that's hard for some people, but also on social media, like, no one's asking you to follow that person. You cannot please everyone. You cannot relate to everyone. If you related to everyone or if you people please for everyone, you would be the most neutral on the fence person, the most boring content and nothing to say. I completely agree. And also like you don't owe it to anyone. You don't owe anyone anything. Like, you know, I, yeah, I had to do a lot of work on that. I feel like people pleasing is such a big part of who I am. And it, and it is really hard to, to drop that and to try and f- 
carve out like, who am I? What do I like? Because we spend so much of our time doing stuff for other people. I totally get that. But um, mm. but look, I think from, from my perspective, and I'm sure so many others, it's been really lovely to see. And I genuinely love like all of your kind of, um, you know, happy videos together and it's you know so so nice so keep doing it please <laughs> and Thank then part you. part of your relationship I guess and sharing that online was to share your egg freezing journey which I know was hugely important for people that you know I've spoken to privately I've, I've had conversations about your content and referred people to your content because I know that that was so useful you know doing that publicly and and, and sharing that journey so what was it like doing that and taking your audience through that process I mean it's 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 a nerve-wracking thing right and kind of what led you to the point of, of making that conscious decision to do it I decided to do it last year I was thinking about doing it anyway like pre-David and then I made up my decision I'd done my research I'd spoken to people and then I spoke to David and I said like this is something that I want to do and it was quite early into our relationship so well like a year and he was just like I think this is a great idea because I'm also not ready to have children and like based on our vague plans it just seemed like the right decision to make and I had my AMH tested which is kind of a level or a loose marker of how many eggs you've got left um and mine was quite low so it was a now or never thing for me so I went on the whole journey it started last January January just gone and I kind of completed all the stimulation injections and the egg collection in April and I did everything documented everything but shared nothing online because I wanted to go through it myself and then decide whether it was something I wanted to share and like god forbid anything bad went happen would would happen and then I'd have to share that so I was like just get through it and then make a decision and I've learned about IVF and egg freezing through medical school but going through it as a patient was wildly different there were so many unexpected things like from practical things like just how much like time you have to commit to it but also things like unexpected costs and then I think I underestimated how my body would feel how my body would change like I had to do two weeks of estrogen priming which was tablets three times a day before starting my stimulation injections and then I started my stim injections but they have to be like at the same time every day and I was doing that like six seven o'clock in the evening but there were some days that I was doing like speaking events or whatever and I'd be taking my injections and doing them in the bathroom and it was just it made me really realize how difficult this is for people who go through rounds and rounds of IVF and for people who do it on their own like technically I was kind of doing it on my own but David just like went into full-on support mode where he was just like wanting to do the injections always checking in on me and it was when we were at home I had the egg collection in Ireland and it was when we were at home during that time that he asked my mum if he could marry me because I think for him it really was a bonding experience for us it was really challenging in so many ways but also I'm just really relieved that i I've done it and it's done and you know I may do another round or another cycle but I think for now I feel like good with what I've done um and the feedback from people has been mostly positive like women who are going through it and found that really useful but I'm also very privileged to be able to afford to do this myself yeah definitely what would you say were the things that I guess surprised you most that you think people should know Mm, I think you know, the costs are huge, um, but they're also very variable 
depending on where you have it done. Like Ireland was slightly cheaper, so I did it there. And also my family lived there, so I could be there for my egg collection. But I actually could have all my medications done here in London, so it was really handy. Um, But also you have to pay like a storage fee until you use them. So I pay like 18 euro a month (laughs) for my eggs to be kept on ice. And I guess like all of the medications, I I knew what the treatment protocol was going to be, but they all arrived at once and it was like a huge box. And I guess they give you loads of extra needles and things like that as well in case you need some extras. So the day they arrived, I just remember sitting down and like sobbing because I was just like, what have I got myself into? Like, this is so overwhelming. And then, yeah, I think like how my body would react to it, you obviously have to stimulate a lot of follicles. So I had my ultrasound two days before we took the eggs out and collected the eggs and my ovaries just were like huge like so huge with all these follicles some of them were like two centimeters by two centimeters if you imagine that in your pelvis like no trousers would fit me like even sitting down felt like there was like so much pressure in my pelvis and I was just like yeah I guess it made me really appreciate what it feels like to not be in that situation but also I was in awe that my body was doing this amazing thing. And it took me a bit longer than I expected to bounce back afterwards. I had a real low after stopping all the hormones and no one really prepared me for that or spoke to me about it. Because I think once the egg collection's done, it's kind of like, goodbye, like you're finished. Um, And poor David had to pick me up from the ground like maybe five days afterwards. I just felt like once those hormones left my body, I was just so flat and just so low. Thankfully that didn't last long, but that was one of the things that I was like, no one ever said that. You may feel like you're kind of in deep PMS after this. And that's the only way I could describe it. So interesting. Yeah, it, it was it was really um, an eye-opener to see that journey. And I think it's becoming more common. You know, we see quite a few content creators now who are going through that that process and sharing it. And I guess it just makes it more of a kind of an awareness journey I guess of of this is what it's actually like because yeah you can read about it in a book but you can't necessarily actually uh help people to understand what going through that feels like so I think yeah it was it was brilliant to see now look I could chat to you for so long but I feel like we we do need to wrap up and I would love to look forwards I guess your career has gone from strength to strength you have really blossomed into this incredible content creator and and so much more as I said in your in your bio at the start what is the future for the food medic what's to come what can we look forward to you know for the first time I don't really have an answer for that like I think as I mentioned ever since I left school it's been university next degree next degree next exam next exam like next hospital rotation I've just always been constantly working towards something and I'm just trying to enjoy where I'm at in my career at the moment like I'm still building on things but I'm not like chasing the next thing that I think is going to make me happier or more successful I'm just kind of finessing what I've done and trying to enjoy having a bit more personal time um so yeah I think like it's not the most exciting answer but I guess we go through seasons in life where we're like growing and then sometimes we're just like nesting and I feel like I'm kind of nesting at the moment well enjoy it because you deserve it more than anyone Hazel (laughs) honestly well thank you so much for your time today it's been such a pleasure to have you on it's been so nice to hear a bit more about your journey and um yeah we will put the links to anything food medic related in the show notes so if you want to click through to any of that stuff we will put it there thank you so much Hazel thank you so much for having me
you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping every week so it'll ensure that you don't miss out. And one really exciting new feature is that I would love to solve your problems. Our podcast is centered around giving people strength and resilience. And so if you have a question, a problem or anything else, you can send a message or a voice note to GMS at insanityhq.com. That's GMS at insanityhq.com. And me and my guest will spend a little bit of time at the end of every podcast answering your questions. See you next time. Insanity Group.